My name's Toby. I'm the vicar here. If you're new or you're visiting, it's great uh, to have you here with us. And as was mentioned earlier in the service, we're starting a new sermon series called Stand Firm, which is all about how you can stand firm in the battle. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about the battle uh, today. And um, hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll build up a bit of a picture about what the battle looks like in the Christian life and how we can conquer it, how we can overcome it. So that's what we're going to be looking at. So um, my son Barney is five years old. He's massively into superheroes. He's particularly into Spider-Man. And uh, we asked him uh, back uh, in December when he was about to turn five what he wanted for his party. And he said, I want a superhero party where everyone dresses up as a superhero. And please, can we have it at church? And I thought, that's a great idea. It's free. Um, so we said, yeah, of course, we would love to put on a, a party for you, a superhero party at church. So we planned it all, and uh, we were going to have it here. It's going to be great. And then he got scarlet fever two days before the party. So we had to send around a thing saying we were postponing the party. Um, so then we kind of forgot about it, and we thought, oh, he'll forget about it too. But he didn't. <laughs> he didn't. In fact, every single day uh, for the last six months, he's been saying, when's my party? When's my party? So eventually we got everything ordered uh, and sorted out for yesterday. So he finally celebrated six months later his five, uh, fifth birthday for the superhero party. So we've been excited planning. My wife loves parties. She loves birthdays. She made a cake, a little Spider-Man on top of it. Uh, we ordered masks for everyone. It was very exciting. So And then on the day... Um, uh, well, in fact, the day before, uh, we heard some really uh, difficult news that an ex- in part, part of our extended family um, is really not very well. So we were a little bit gutted about that, um, and it's going to be an ongoing situation. So we felt a bit hit by that, um, but obviously we're excited about the party. And then on the morning of the party, we said, Barney, we're so excited for your party. And he said, I don't want to go to my party. And he said, there's a boy who's been being mean to me who's coming to the birthday party, and I don't want to go. So we sort of talked him around, and we said, it's all right, we can sort it all out. Uh, we'll get there. So it's feeling quite hard work at that point. Anyway, we got here and uh, we walked down the street. We're a little bit late. Everyone was going to be turning up in a few minutes. And uh, we turned up to see that the, the front door had been smashed in in the night by uh, a vandal. And therefore, uh, we were going to have to spend the, the next hour clearing it all up. And at that point, I just this, we've had the, the smashed door four times in the last as many weeks. And I just thought, I've, like, I've had enough. This is, this is ridiculous. I feel like this is such a battle at the moment to get here. And amazingly, we got there and we, had the, we cleared it all up. The, everyone turned up. He had the most fantastic party. He didn't cry once during the day, which is a miracle for a five-year-old party. Uh, and he had a great time. But it felt like a battle to get there. I don't know if you've ever felt like you're in a battle. I don't know if you feel like you might be in a battle at the moment. Maybe there's a battle going on in a relationship that you're in. It feels really hard work. Maybe uh, it's a friend that you've fallen out with. Maybe uh, in a relationship, things aren't going very well. You're arguing the whole time. Maybe there's a battle in your finances at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised with the cost of living crisis, the interest rates going up, uh, people's mortgages, uh, all those things that are challenging. Inflation is going sky. You might be facing a battle in your finances. Maybe you're facing a battle in your workplace. Maybe at work you're feeling, I don't know, undervalued or under-equipped or overlooked or overwhelmed. Maybe you're facing a battle in your family with something that's going on. Maybe there's a battle in health. 
that you're struggling with your health, your physical health, or your mental health. Maybe there's someone you know who's going through it. So many battles that we have to face as individuals. I don't know where you're at at the moment. The question is, how do we fight our battles? How do we fight them? And that's what we're going to unpack over the next six weeks as we look at the book of Ephesians, particularly chapter 6. And uh, Ephesians was written by St. Paul to a church in a place called Ephesus uh, in modern-day Turkey. Uh, So if you ever go on holiday to Turkey, I recommend going to Ephesus, an amazing, well-preserved Roman uh, town. In fact, it it was a very prominent Roman city, the fourth largest Roman city. It was a place of all sorts of different backgrounds of people. It was like multicultural. It was a fascinating place. And Paul was there for two years. He, he started a church there, but he stayed there for a long period of time. But many years later, he was put in prison. Uh, he was put in prison originally in, in Jerusalem, and then he was moved to, um, uh, he was in Caesarea, and then he was in Rome. And he was writing this letter to the Ephesian Christians about how to keep going in their faith. And bear in mind, he himself is in prison. So what happens in Ephesians is the first three chapters of Ephesians, there is not a single command if you read through the first three chapters, not a single command. There's not him telling them to do anything. All he's doing is reminding them of who they are in Christ. In other words, what their identity is. He says, you are loved by your heavenly father. He says, you have been died. Jesus died in your place. He says, you are now forgiven people. He says, you're now free people. He says, you're adopted into God's family. He says, God has got a purpose for your life. These are all true of you and me. God loves you. He's forgiven you. He's adopted you into his family through Jesus. Your identity is secure. And I love the way around it is three chapters on reminding them of who they are in Christ before he gets on to any instructions about what to do. And yet the instructions are important because knowing your identity is primary. Second is to know what to do in the battle. And that's what we're looking at here. You might be asking, why is it that my life is hard? Why is it not plain sailing. Surely, if I follow Jesus, everything should go easily. That has never been the promise. That's never been the case. And in fact, I often say to people, if you want an easy life, do not become a Christian. I advise you, do not become a Christian if you want an easy life. It's not easy being a Christian, but it is glorious and wonderful at the same time. So what does he write? Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 6. So this is him talking about the the battle. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So these three verses have huge, profound impacts on our lives as Christians because I, I want to draw out three things. I want to answer three questions from these three verses. Firstly, who do we fight? Secondly, what do we fight? And then thirdly, how do we fight? Who, what, how? Firstly, 
Who do we fight? Verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The word here, struggle, is what was used for hand-to-hand combat, wrestling face-to-face on the ground. This is like a really earthy battle, hand-to-hand combat. And St. Paul says our battle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood. He, He doesn't actually mean it's not against flesh and blood. What he means is it's not only against flesh and blood. In other words, we do have battles with people, with situations. Of course we do. He is in prison, after all. He has faced human oppression. He's having a hard time. He's been stoned. He mentions various moments. He's been attacked. He's had all sorts of problems. So, yes, the struggle is against flesh and blood, but it's not only against flesh and blood. In other words, there is more to the battle than we might see at first. He says the battle is not against flesh and blood, not only against flesh and blood, but also against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this evil world. So this is a really interesting thing. Some people, uh, we we often fall into one of two uh, categories, one of two dangers. The first danger is to underestimate the spiritual, to say that actually maybe there is no spiritual. In fact, our whole Western world pretty much ignores any spiritual dimension to life whatsoever. I was really interested today, this morning, I was preaching on this, and a woman came up to me at the end, and she said, I'm really interested by what you were talking about. I am a Buddhist, and she said, I'm on a Buddhist uh, conference in Bristol, and I'm only here for today. And I took a voy to go around the center of town, and I heard the noise, and I came inside, and I've been listening ever since. And she said, what you're saying is so true. There is a spiritual dimension to life, but most people seem to ignore it. I think the reality is that in our Western world, we are, have quite a narrow view of the world. If you go to other parts of the world, you go to large parts of Asia or Africa, South America, you will find that everyone believes that there is a spiritual realm. It's not the case over here, primarily. But it is quite a narrow view. And it's also quite a narrow view of the world in terms of what people have believed down the ages. We like to think that we're more superior now, that, um, that if can't, something can't be understood and looked at with a microscope, it doesn't worth is not worth looking at. And yet, there is so much interest and fascination with the spiritual world. Just go to Glastonbury. Anyone been to Glastonbury? Ever? Yes, one or two. Okay. Well, if you want to see that people who are interested in spiritual things, there are a lot of people there. There is a real openness and interest in spiritual things. So, in other words, don't be underestimating the spiritual dimension. It's very interesting, I find, on, on when we run these Alpha courses. It's a great a chance to explore faith. If you're not a Christian, I'd love to encourage you to think about coming on our next one in October. But I've seen many people start the journey by saying, I actually don't believe there's anything beyond the material, the physical. But actually, as the weeks go along, they begin to say, well, maybe there is. I don't know. Uh, there was one particular person on the last course who went from um, not believing in anything, and by the end, they said, I really believe there is something there. There's something spiritual. 
Now, here's the question. If you believe that there is a spiritual good, could it be that there's also another negative spiritual side to the coin? Many people would say, yes, there is. Um, Sergeant um, General uh, Romeo Dallaire, who led the UN peacekeeping force in Rwanda post the genocide, said, I believe in good because I've seen evil. He had seen so much what he saw as evil that he then began to believe that there was good. There is evil in this world. That's the claim of the New Testament. It's the claim of the Bible. So don't underestimate, but also don't overestimate evil. Because it's very easy to be a bit worried, to be a bit freaked out, or to see everything as a spiritual battle. Uh, Don't be over-materialistic, but also don't be over-spiritual. Sometimes people are super spiritual about this. Have you ever met someone who says, oh, I've got really bad hay fever. I think it's spiritual attack. <laughs> or, or someone who says, I'm so sorry, I'm late. The devil made me late. I don't know if you ever tried that excuse of going to work. Uh, people, people are going to often feel like this is all the devil's fault. Everything, everything that goes wrong, I'm under attack. But actually, St. Paul is saying, no, 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 don't, don't go over the top. Yes, that we're, our battle is also against, against flesh and blood, but it's also against something uh, more profound. So don't look for a demon behind every delay or a spirit behind every sickness, but have an equal view of both the physical and the spiritual. And don't underestimate or overestimate. This is what C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, uh, author of Narnia, uh, professor um, of Cambridge and, and Oxford, he said this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. In other words, demons or or the devil. He says, one is to disbelieve in their existence, which is what many people do. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialist or the magician with the same delight. So there is a spiritual world. There is a spiritual realm. We are in, St. Paul says, a spiritual battle. Don't be naive. Why are we still in a spiritual battle? You might say, well, hang on a sec. Surely Jesus died on the cross. He defeated the devil. He defeated uh, the enemy. And he rose again. He defeated death. Surely that means that there is nothing to fear now. But actually, we look around the world, we realize that is not the case. There is pain and suffering and brokenness and sin all over the place. I I, I love this analogy that I heard once, which is the difference between D-Day and VE Day. D-Day in the Second World War was the decisive moment when the Allied troops overran uh, the uh, Nazi forces. And that effectively was when the battle was won. And yet... Many, many months went on of other skirmishes, battles, and uh, attacks that were going on until VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, which was the final moment. So we kind of live between D-Day, Jesus has won the battle, and VE Day, uh, when we will see Jesus' return, when everything will be made right. But we live in this intervening period where there is the reality of a spiritual battle. But the good news is, with Jesus, we know you end up on the winning side. You know that with Jesus, you are going to conquer ultimately. And that's what St. Paul is trying to do. He's not trying to worry you or freak you out. He's trying to encourage us to say, look, 
Don't be naive. And yet, there is a victory that's coming. Stand firm, he says. So who are we fighting? It's, yes, it's flesh and blood. It's material, but it's also spiritual. Secondly, what do we fight? Verse 11. So Paul says here, take your stand against the devil's schemes. The word in Greek is methodia, methods, uh, strategies. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, St. Paul also writes, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices, his wiles. In other words, he's not obvious. He is deceptive. He is devious. There is a reality of a supernatural force, which is not obvious to see. It is devious. Uh, He is um, wily, cunning, deceptive. In fact, the word uh, devil comes from the the Greek word diabolos, and diabolos means liar. It's interesting, isn't it? Liar is the term that is given to the devil, someone who lies. And that is the very nature of who the enemy is, someone who lies, who is deceptive. It's quite easy to think, well, unless I see something really obvious, then there is no evil at work. Unless I see someone's head rotating 360 and vomiting, there is no devil involved. Yet there is something much more deceptive and devious about the way that he operates he is a liar. There's a great book. I love it. If you're interested in this subject, a great book by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies. It's about exposing the lies of the enemy. And here I think there are two primary ways in which the enemy lies to us, to me, to you. And they are temptation and accusation. Temptation is trying to persuade you to do something that feels good at the time but in, in the long term, will have negative effects. There's a, there's a summary of it. Temptation is trying to get you to have a short, quick fix for something that will actually be destructive to you and others uh, in the long term. We all are probably familiar with temptation. Accusation is saying you're not worth anything. You're worth nothing. Having a go at your identity. Remember, St. Paul starts with our identity. It's absolutely fundamental. And the reason why these two are sort of very similar but different ways in which he lies to us. Because the first one, temptation, is basically saying, try to persuade you that you have a too high a view of yourself and too view, a lower view of God. The too high a view of yourself is like, well, all that really matters is me and my pleasure and how I feel. So I'm going to do this thing because I want to feel good. Too low a view of God's holiness. Actually, God is holy. In him, there is no sin. Now, this is key to understand that temptation is not wrong. To be tempted happens to everyone. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. All of us experience it. The only, the only thing that's wrong is when we do something with it. But temptation and sin are not the same thing. But I don't know whether you recognize any of these kind of lies that the enemy loves to whisper in your ear when you're considering doing something and not sure whether it's the right thing to do. You think it's probably not the right thing. He shows you the bait, but he hides the hook. You see the good stuff, but you don't realize what's behind it. You look at the short term and you ignore the, the long term misery that may be called. He also maybe tries to help you rationalize sin as a virtue. You sort of say, well, 
It's not bad. I'm not being nosy. I'm just concerned to find out what's going on. I'm really concerned about them. Maybe showing you the sins of someone else. He whispers and said, well, they do it. Why don't you, I mean, what's stopping you? What's so repressed about you? Why are you so repressed? Just do, do it. Enjoy it. They're doing it. Uh, maybe overplaying the mercy of God. God will forgive you. Of course he will. That's in his nature. The whole point of the gospel. Isn't that that God forgives you? Well, then it's fine. Just go for it. What have you got to lose? Or maybe bitterness that creeps in. The whisper comes, you have had such a tough time. You deserve this. You've, had so, you've been through so much recently. You deserve something for you. Of course you do. Or maybe playing off the idea of good and bad. You can do something bad because you've done quite a lot of good. Think about it. If you've done quite a lot of good, of course you could do a little bit of bad. This is the ultimate temptation of the mafia hitman who kills people for a living but is very nice to his mother. You know, it's like, I've done some bad stuff, but yeah, I've done some good. It all equals out. These are all the kind of lies that the enemy loves to just whisper into our ears. It's like, oh, don't worry. Just go for it. So temptation, uh, we have too low a view of God's holiness. But when it comes to accusation, we have too low a view of God's love and too high a view of his holiness. We think God is so holy. When he looks at me, he is just not angry, just disappointed. (laughs) He's just disappointed. Could have been so much. Look at you. You're not doing very well, are you? Do you realize if other people knew what you were thinking, then they would just not want to know you? Do you know what? If if anyone knew the kind of person you are, you would be you would be a pariah. There's nothing good about you. He loves to whisper those things to us. And uh, uh, what we tend to do is look inward. That's what the that's what the devil would love to make us do. Constantly be looking inward. And not up to God. He wants to get you not to look to God, but to look at yourself. Look at your flaws and your frailties and just meditate and think about those over and over again to the point that he can just grind you down. And what is often said is with children, I don't know if you've heard this research, but if you, if you give children equal amount of correction and encouragement, so the equal amount, they will gradually grow up to believe themselves to be deficient in some way. Why? Because we naturally latch on to negatives. It happens to us all the time. If you hear a negative about yourself, they say that you need at least four or five positive statements about yourself to reinforce the one negative. And it's not just about children. It's about adults. We naturally latch on to the negative. So anyone, any, you know, someone might give you five compliments, but they mention one thing that, you know, not even, it's not even a criticism. And we're like, oh, what do they mean by that? What do they think? What's wrong with me? Oh, my goodness. Was I, was I wearing the wrong thing? Did I say the wrong thing? Overthinking it all the time. I don't know if anyone else does that. Anyone, any overthinkers in the room? Uh, but the inner struggles that we have are all because the enemy wants to uh, destroy us, wants to bring us down. But uh, uh, this is a great illustration. I heard someone say, the devil's a bit like a guy with a big grand piano. And he tries to get you to put your head in it and sing. So imagine a grand piano, you put your head in it, and you sing a note, whatever note it is. 
whatever note you sing will come back to you. There'll be a, like a, a, a resonant um, uh, note that will come back from the piano. So the same note that you sing will come back probably louder. What happens is it's like these, all these little insecurities. It's like the devil just says, yeah, let's amplify that. Yeah. And also, you, you did this wrong, but what about that? And you, know, you, you, feel, you, know, you felt bad about this, but there's so much more that you don't know that's negative about it. He plays it back to ourselves. He's like playing you like a musical instrument. So all I'm doing with these things is to try and alert us to the way that the enemy works. He loves to lie. He loves to, he loves to tempt us. Uh, to break, break God's commands in order to make things bad for ourselves. And then once we've done it, he then comes and says, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you, even though he was the one that tempted us in the first place, because he lies. That's all he does. So, you might be thinking, flipping heck, this is hard. This is a battle. Yes, it is a battle. But here's, here's some good news. So what do we fight? We fight uh, an enemy who really doesn't want the best for us. We Also, how, what do we fight? We fight the strategies of the enemy, which is primarily temptation and accusation. But so here's the last thing. How do we fight? And um, th- I'm just, uh, we're going to spend the whole of our sermon series talking about how do we fight. So there's a lot more to come. But what I'd love to do is just give you a couple of thoughts about how we might begin to fight this battle. So Paul begins this passage by saying, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in yourself. Not be strong as Toby. Not try your hardest to resist temptation. Not try and tell yourself you're great uh, as much as you can, although that might be good. These are both good things. He's saying, be strong in the Lord. So when you face temptation and accusation, the first place to go is not to yourself to try and fight, but to the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. You know, the Lord is the opposite of the enemy. The Lord is only truth. So if you read scripture, you will find there is a power to what the Bible says that is more powerful than your own thoughts. You know, the more you meditate on scripture, the more you learn what your identity is. Read the first three chapters of of Ephesians, for starters. The more you begin to know who you are, the more powerful that will be in resisting the, the lies of the enemy. And know what particular devices the enemy has got lined up for you. I don't know if there are any of the things that you've heard, you thought, yeah, yeah, that's me, that's me. Well, that's great, because that, as soon as you expose the strategies of the enemy, it loses its power. I, I remember someone saying to me, do you, do you realize that the way that you're talking to yourself is just giving the enemy lots and lots of room to bring you down? I thought, yes. So I tried to stop every time I find myself going down that line. I go, no, I don't believe that. I believe this, what the Bible says about me. And you begin, it's like a muscle, faith like a muscle. You begin, become stronger and stronger at resisting those words. Retrain your brain. The gospel is like armor. We're going to unpack the armor of God. But the gospel is the, the core of it. The gospel is this. And we think about temptation and accusation. The gospel says temptation is, is, it leads to destruction. 
But then it says accusation is not where you end up because of Jesus' death on the cross. The point is that, of course, we've fallen short. Of course we have. But the wonderful news is that Jesus has died in our place. So we're going to be taking communion in a second. And that is a wonderful reminder that actually the power of the devil has been broken. You now operate under a new operating system. That your mind is being transformed by Jesus. The gospel says that you're, yes, you're more sinful than you probably even realize. But you are more loved than you will ever get your head around. You're more redeemed, you're more forgiven than you will ever know. So he says, be strong in the Lord. Go to the Lord first. But then he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. It's very easy to underestimate evil. But it's also very easy to overestimate the power of this evil. Because when this is not a fair fight. We sometimes think, we quite often think, well, it's kind of like, Alcaraz versus Djokovic. Fairly even matchup. No, 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 no. This is like Djokovic is God. He's not, but let's imagine, go with my analogy. Djokovic is God, and Djokovic is playing me in the Wimbledon final. I haven't got a chance to get a point against Djokovic. The devil hasn't got a chance against God. We're talking about the creator of the entire universe against some small, pathetic, created being. I love the fact that um, Smith Wigglesworth talks about this moment where he wakes up and he, in the middle of the night and he sees Satan sitting at the end, end of his bed in uh, all his gory glo- uh, glory. And he just wakes up and goes, oh, it's just you. And goes back to sleep. He doesn't care. He knows his victory is in the hands of the Lord. There is not a fair matchup here. The Lord is victorious. He's going to win, and he is on your side. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within you. The power that created this entire universe is on your side. Ephesians uh, 1, verse 18. I think we've got that um, on the screen. This is, this, is what, um, this is part of that first part of Ephesians. This is what St. Paul says. Listen to this. I pray, that this is a prayer that you could pray for yourself. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. For us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. And listen where Jesus is compared to the enemy. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but in the age to come. Jesus has defeated the enemy. One day he will be thrown down completely. We live in this in-between time where we wrestle with accusation and temptation, but we are on the winning side because God is for you and not against you. So can I encourage you, as you take uh, communion today, it's appropriate that we're doing that today, you may want to come with one of two responses. You might want to say, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. Maybe it's in resisting temptation. Uh, Maybe it's in your mindset, in accusation. You say, Lord, I need your help. And then as you come, receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, this memorial of his death and resurrection, 
And as you do it, take that and say, thank you that you're with me and I will overcome. That is the promise of the gospel. That's the promise of communion. That is the promise of God. He's on your side. He's with you and you will win. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died and rose again. Thank you that you did it for us. Thank you you did it for me. Thank you if I'd been the only person in the world, you still would have died for you because you love me and you're for me and you want me to experience life in all its fullness. Lord, thank you for the cross. And Lord, we want to ask you again to help us as we fight this spiritual battle. We pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to the strategies of the enemy. And Lord, you would equip us to stand firm with you on our side in the community of the church to encourage one another to stand firm. And Lord, we pray today even now, even this evening, that you would pour out your spirit as we take communion, that this would be a wonderful moment of forgiveness, redemption, restoration, hearing the words that you say to us, that we are loved, forgiven, chosen, adopted, special in your sight. We pray, Lord, that all of those things You would meet us where we're at today. In Jesus' name, amen.